Section 14 of England, Scotland, Ireland, and Wales. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Colleen McMahon. The World's Story, Volume 10. England, Scotland, Ireland, and Wales. Edited by Eva March Tappan. Section 14. Praise God Barebones Parliament. 1653 by edward earl of clarendon after cromwell's dissolution of the long parliament or rump parliament as it was also called he assumed executive authority and sent a request to the independent or congregational churches of the land that they should name persons to form a new parliament cromwell's council chose chiefly from among the persons thus named the little parliament which, from the name of one member, the Royalists called the Barebones Parliament, the editor. There were amongst them some few of the quality and degree of gentlemen, and who had estates and such a proportion of credit and reputation as could consist with the guilt they had contracted. But much the major part of them consisted of inferior persons, of no quality or name, artificers of the meanest trades, known only by their gifts in praying or preaching, which was now practised by all degrees of men but scholars throughout the kingdom in which number that there may be a better judgment made of the rest it will not be amiss to name one from whom that parliament itself was afterwards denominated who was praise god that was his christian name barebone a leather seller in fleet street from whom he being an eminent speaker in it it was afterwards called praise god barebone's parliament in a word, they were a pack of weak, senseless fellows, fit only to bring the name and reputation of Parliament lower than it was yet. It was fit these new men should be brought together by some new way, and a very new way it was, for Cromwell, by his warrants, directed to every one of them, telling them of the necessity of dissolving the late Parliament, and of an equal necessity, that the peace, safety, and good government of the Commonwealth should be provided for, and therefore that he had, by the advice of his council of officers, nominated diverse persons fearing God, and of approved fidelity and honesty, to whom the great charge and trust of so weighty affairs was to be committed, and that having good assurance of their love to and courage for God, and the interest of his cause, and the good people of this commonwealth, he concluded in these words, I, Oliver Cromwell, Captain-General and Commander-in-Chief of all the forces raised, or to be raised, within this Commonwealth, do hereby summon and require you personally to be and appear at the Council Chamber at Whitehall, upon the fourth day of July next, then and there to take upon you the said trust, and you are hereby called and appointed to serve as a member for the County of, etc., Upon this wild summons, the persons so nominated appeared at the council chamber upon the 4th of July, which was near three months after the dissolution of the former Parliament. Cromwell, with his council of officers, was ready to receive them, and made them a long discourse of the fear of God and the honor due to his name, full of texts of scripture, and remembered the wonderful mercies of God to this nation and the continued series of providence by which he had appeared in carrying on his cause and bringing affairs into that present glorious condition wherein they now were he put them in mind of the noble actions of the army in the famous victory of worcester 
of the applications they had made to the Parliament for a good settlement of all the affairs of the Commonwealth, the neglect whereof made it absolutely necessary to dissolve it. He assured them by many arguments, some of which were urged out of Scripture, that they had a very lawful call to take upon them the supreme authority of the nation, and concluded with a very earnest desire that great tenderness might be used towards all conscientious persons of whatever judgment soever they appeared to be. When he had finished his discourse, he delivered to them an instrument, engrossed in parchment under his hand and seal, whereby, with the advice of his council of officers, he did devolve and entrust the supreme authority of this commonwealth into the hands of those persons therein mentioned, and declared that they, or any forty of them, were to be held and acknowledged the supreme authority of the nation, to which all persons within the same and the territories thereunto belonging were to yield obedience and subjection to the third day of the month of November, which should be in the year 1654, which was about a year and three months from the time that he spoke to them, and three months before the time prescribed should expire, they were to make choice of other persons to succeed them, whose power and authority should not exceed one year, and when they were likewise to provide and take care for a like succession in the government. Being thus invested with this authority, they repaired to the Parliament House, and made choice of one Rouse to be their speaker, an old gentleman of Devonshire, who had been a member of the former Parliament, and in that time been preferred and made provost of the College of Eton, whose office he then enjoyed, with an opinion of having some knowledge in the Latin and Greek tongues, of a very mean understanding, but thoroughly engaged in the guilt of the times. At their first coming together, some of them had the modesty to doubt, that they were not in many respects so well qualified as to take upon them the style and title of a parliament. But that modesty was quickly subdued, and they were easily persuaded to assume that title, and to consider themselves as the supreme authority in the nation. These men, thus brought together, continued in this capacity near six months, to the amazement and even mirth of the people, in which time they never entered upon any grave and serious debate, that might tend to any settlement, but generally expressed great sharpness and animosity against the clergy, and against all learning, out of which they thought the clergy had grown, and still would grow. There were now no bishops for them to be angry with. They had already reduced all that order to the lowest beggary. But their quarrel was against all who had called themselves ministers, and who, by being called so, received tithes and respect from their neighbors. They resolved the function itself to be anti-Christian, and the persons to be burdensome to the people, and the requiring and payment of tithes to be absolute Judaism, and they thought fit that they should be abolished altogether, and that there might not for the time to come be any race of people who might revive those pretenses. They thought fit that all lands belonging to the universities and colleges in those universities might be sold and the monies that should arise thereby be disposed for the public service and to ease the people from the payment of taxes and contributions. When they had tired and perplexed themselves so long in such debates, as soon as they were met in the morning upon the 12th of December, and before many of them were come who were like to dissent from the motion, one of them stood up and declared that he did believe they were not equal to the burden that was laid upon them, and therefore that they might dissolve themselves and deliver back their authority into the hands from whom they had received it. 
which being presently consented to their speaker with those who were of that mind went to whitehall and re-delivered to cromwell the instrument they had received from him acknowledged their own impotency and besought him to take care of the commonwealth by this frank donation he and his council of officers were once more possessed of the supreme power of the nation and in a few days after his council were too modest to share with him in this royal authority but declared that the government of the commonwealth should reside in a single person that that person should be oliver cromwell captain-general of all the forces in england scotland and ireland and that his title should be lord protector of the commonwealths of england scotland and ireland and of the dominions and territories thereunto belonging and that he should have a council of one and twenty persons to be assistant to him in the government end of section fourteen this recording is in the public domain